welcome to Hazel and Katniss and Harry and Star, a young adult literature podcast, their film and television adaptations, and everything in between. I'm Joe. And I'm Diane Court. <laughs> Ma'am, you wish you were. <laughs> And our show is located on the ancestral lands of the Haudenosaunee, the Huron-Wendat, and the Anishinaabe on lands connected to the Toronto Purchase Treaty 13 of 1805. And on the tecumseh Sequatchewan territory within the unceded traditional lands of Sequatchewan-Ulu. And Brenna, we have a guest today. So I'm very excited to welcome a colleague of mine who hosts a delightful podcast called Psychoanalysis, Mr. Mike Snoonian. Hey, everyone. I am on, I believe, the tribal lands of the Wampapanoag persons. Uh, This is the native lands I am in the uh, town of Bridgewater. And today's text is Say Anything, which takes place in Seattle. And Seattle is the traditional home of several Coast Salish nations, uh, most especially the Duwamish, the Suquamish, the Stilagamish, and the Muckleshoot peoples. Joe... Yes. Part of the reason we have a guest today is because we are talking about the greatest movie of all time. (laughs) Yeah, so... I like where this is going. (laughs) (laughs) So, Mike, as our guest, why don't you tell us a little bit about your relationship with Say Anything? Sure. So this movie came out when I was a freshman in high school, and I remember approaching the theater, seeing it on the marquee, and promptly buying a ticket for License to Drive, which came out (laughs) the same weekend, (laughs) and then renting this movie on video cassette uh, once it hit VHS, and this was a staple of my high school years. Like, I would have been a freshman in high school the year that Lloyd's character would have been a senior. And I wore out the tape on this. Um, When I applied for university, you had to write about a a fictional character that you admired. And I narrowed it down to Batman and Mm -hmm. Lloyd Dobler. And I chose Lloyd Dobler. I just find (laughs) this. I just find his character so deeply empathetic and easy to relate to. I just took so many lessons from this character, I think, in terms mm-hmm. of like how to be a young man that can be romantic but respectful. And yes. I don't even as a, an adult, like it's funny rewatching this a few times this week in preparation. Other things I pick up as a father and an adult uh, when it comes to the Jim Court character. And I'm mm. just I really can't wait to dive into this one. Yeah, so maybe before we open the conversation, Brenna, can I get you to do your usual fare of introducing what the plot of the film is, just in case people haven't seen it? Yeah, of course, but you should see this movie if you haven't seen this movie. I mean, honestly, folks, it's a classic. <laughs> it is. It is. Um, And I, you know, I have always just had just a huge... I just love John Cusack. I was going to say, you were going to say crush, weren't you? I was. I just think he's the best. And this role in particular, it's so... I mean, it it is his iconic role, right? And it mm-hmm. it so perfectly fits his character, this kind of, like, sweet underachiever. I mean, he goes on to play this character, like, infinite times in his career. Mm-hmm. But I think this Lloyd Dobler is the best iteration of this character. So, yeah, I was, as we said, this is uh, a movie about Lloyd Dobler and Diane Court. Lloyd is an underachiever. He's known for not really knowing what he wants to do, but he's well-liked. Everyone kind of hangs out with him, enjoys his company, but he is a bit of a... I actually think slacker is way too strong a word. He just doesn't know. I think he's aimless, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 
And Diane Court is the opposite of that. She's the valedictorian. She's off to England on a fellowship. She's, you know, driven. And part of what brings them together is that she comes to realize at the end of her high school experience that she doesn't actually know anybody in her high school. Mm -hmm. And when Lloyd invites her out to a party, she she decides to go and she realizes that like all this time she spent kind of focusing on her future and she hasn't really lived in her present. And that's sort of what brings the two of them together. Right. Of course, there's a tension with Diane's father who really likes that his daughter is extremely driven and focused and doesn't super love the influence of Lloyd Dobler in her life. They're incredibly close. Um, but what we realize over the course of the film is that Jim has been lying to his daughter about where all their money comes from. (laughs) He's been stealing from old people, ladies and gentlemen. Oh, boy. As soon as he said, oh, yeah, I paid $9,000 for that. What is it? The jukebox that they have? Yeah. Just like, what that? Because like, this is 1989. $9,000 is not a small chunk of change to pay for such a kind of vanity item. Yes. And and there's this moment where someone at the IRS tells Diane, like, you know, is your father making purchases around the value of $9,000? Like, yep, <laughs> he sure is. <laughs> yep. Um, so ultimately, Diane feels like she has to make this choice, support her father through this difficulty with the IRS or be with Lloyd. And because supporting her father also means focusing on her future, that's what she does. And she breaks up with Lloyd, who is devastated we get some of the best heartbreak scenes in cinematic history in (laughs) lloyd's sort of aimless meandering about seattle being sad but eventually diane realizes that she finds the money effectively she finds Mm -hmm. the money she realizes that her dad's been lying to her he goes to prison she goes off to england lloyd goes with her the end of the film Mm-hmm. Mm and we should note that this is a cameron crowe film so we have previously covered I guess it's kind of his film, like it's Amy Heckerling's film, but we have talked about Fast Times at Ridgemont High, which he wrote. This was actually his directorial debut though, right? Mm-hmm. It, yep, is. it is. Yeah, I I was actually most surprised that this movie was not a huge hit. Like the cultural impact of it is massive, but it barely, like it it didn't make money. It cost no. $16 million to make and it only grossed 20 yeah, you can never count again when you're going up against movies like she's driving me crazy at the box office with <laughs> I think it's Tony Danza. Uh, you know, it's a juggernaut that you had to. He was the boss at the time. So <laughs> it was it was a bit of a juggernaut. But I think like it's it's the perfect movie for VHS and slumber mm-hmm. parties and sleepovers. So I think that's where it, it found its impact in the generations that followed. So what's interesting to me that both of you focused on Lloyd, like the John Cusack character, and I feel like people don't often talk about Ione Skye as Diane. And I wonder, is that just because Lloyd is that kind of everyman that men should aspire to be and girls want to be with? I mean, I think so. I think it also has a lot to do with the fact that Ione Sky never really capitalized on this moment in her career. So mm. we don't have the same like body of work. Like when you watch this movie from a 2023 perspective, you can see everyone who John Cusack is going to play like for right. the next 30 years kind of <laughs> unspool in front of you. Um, and I think for that reason, it's remembered as a stronger part of his body of work. Mm-hmm. But I love Diane Court. Like, I genuinely love her. And I think Well, you are Diane Court. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) 
that's not untrue. Um, <laughs> but, you know, I think it's a wonderful performance from Ioni Sky. And it's very different from some of the other Brat Pack pictures that we were seeing at this time period. Like, I texted you this yesterday, Joe, but like, Ioni Sky goes for the full ugly cry at one point mm. in this movie. And it's very... I just see her as so different from some of the other teen girl actresses from the period. Like I, right. I just – I found this depiction of teenage girlhood and a particular kind of teenage girlhood that, yes, okay, fine, I relate to very deeply. I, I found it a really empathetic portrayal as well. I really liked her. I think because the first two acts are so much from Lloyd Dobler's point of view. Mm -hmm. Like right. you're really following him around for the first – two-thirds of the movie and you're watching how everybody reacts to lloyd like that party scene what oh, jumps out immediately is every single person just wants to say hello to lloyd mm -hmm. and uh what hits me every time is the scene where diane is talking to the two young women and they're and they're saying like oh you know like, i can't believe you called your dad like when i just go home and cry he won't my dad won't ask anything at that point. Right. There's just the dude in the Metallica Master of Puppets shirt who walks by and just says, Lloyd Dobler, all right. And I think that <laughs> kind of sums up his character at that point. So I think that's part of it. It did hit me on rewatch this time. Lloyd pretty much drops out of the third act of this movie. Mm -hmm. Like once the boombox scene happens – the movie's perspective shifts to Diane's perspective. And I yeah. think that's a really clever way to do this movie because it does make you much more empathetic towards Diane and just how much this decision is ripping her apart. Like she does the right thing, mm -hmm. but sometimes oh, yeah. the right thing is so hard to do. Can I tell you the wildest thing I learned in my preparation for today's episode? What's that? John Cusack didn't want to do the boombox scene. He didn't think it was right for Lloyd's character. He thought it was too passive. Hmm. It blows me away. It's such an iconic moment. And it's such like it's so tied up in in kind of the cultural weight of both this movie and him as an actor. And he really didn't want to do it. I can definitely appreciate that he felt it was too passive for the character because Lloyd is the kind of guy who will go after whatever he wants. Like, I think that's one of the more endearing characteristics, right? So my confession is that I thought I had watched this movie before, and it turns out I was just remembering the boombox scene. So <laughs> this was a first time watch for me. Oh, wow. And it is wild. Like, I was having a similar experience to you, Brenna, when you watch Fast Times at Ridgemont High, where you're just like, I feel like I know so much about this movie, but have clearly not seen it. Yes, it's such a weird experience, right? Well, it's just bizarre that that sequence is not the end of the movie. Yeah. I thought that that was the big we're getting back together yeah. moment that ends the movie, because that's what other more traditional movies would do. And here, you're right, Mike, we have a whole third act mm -hmm. that has nothing, like we're well past the boombox sequence at that point, because the movie has to get real. Mm -hmm. I'm always blown away by the fact that the boombox scene doesn't work. I always expect her to go running out of the mm -hmm. house, and mm -hmm. she never does. <laughs> right. And you almost see it with the phone call when he's like, right. when he says, please tear up the letter, it breaks my heart. And I think that I 
I've been Lloyd Dobler in that instance where mm-hmm. I have like whether it's a mixtape or a letter or just something that I know is out there after a teen or young adult relationship went up in flames mm-hmm. then I'm like oh my god it pains me so much to know and it's when he <laughs> says that she runs to the phone but the boombox scene it it doesn't work and that's part of the beauty, I think, too, is it's not a John Hughes movie no, where right. you have this like triumphant moment where they walk off in the sunset together. I think it it, it really is like a post high school movie as opposed to a, a mm. high school movie. It's funny that you say that, Mike, because I definitely would have thought that this was more of a dazed and confused situation, right? Where it's kind of like it's about kids getting together, they're partying, you know, this this one guy makes his big moment and he tries to make it with the girl and it either does or doesn't work. And yet you're you're right that the movie is much more interested in how do we transition out of a high school kind of child mentality and into a okay you're an adult and now you need to recognize what the world actually holds well and there's this interesting inversion between the two characters right because on the surface you think of diane as the responsible one and lloyd as the kind of aimless wanderer Mm -hmm. but but lloyd has been an adult for a lot longer than than diane has right he's he's had to look after himself he's been in a sort of caregiving relationship with his nephew even if he doesn't take it as seriously as his sister wants like Mm -hmm. he's been on his own and caring for himself and there's a real sense of like diane is kind of for the first time being disappointed in her parents which is well-trod ground for lloyd right right yeah and i look at who lloyd surrounds himself with as well Mm -hmm. and they're all persons that are kind of fumbling about and I think it takes a lot of courage and honesty at age 18, because at 18, you're expected to know you're going to go to college. This is going to be the career path you're on. This is what the next 20, 30, 40 years of your life are going to be mapped out to be. And I don't think we consider how much of a burden that is on 18-year-olds. Like oh I gosh. know that for me, I've had at least four careers from between the ages of 18 and now the ripe old age of 48 like it took me a good three decades to learn like this is what i want to do with maybe with the rest of my life and -hmm. i think it takes a an amount of radical honesty to defy everybody and say all i know Mm -hmm. is that i don't know so tonight i'm just gonna hang with your daughter i don't have to figure it all out right now because i could see a world where diane flames out in spectacular fashion from burnout and it would be very ugly because of all the pressure she and others Mm -hmm. have put on her yeah and jim as supporting as he is of his daughter would never understand that Mm -hmm. no because he's got one vision of who she is right yeah one of the things that's really beautiful about this burgeoning relationship is that lloyd is learning about her right like the way he watches her the way he he wants to understand who she is as a person is very different than the way Jim has already kind of constructed an identity that he will accept from his daughter. Mm -hmm. What you realize over the course of the film is that they're not really as close as they seem because a, he's been, you know, he's lying, (laughs) Um, but but B because he's only interested in knowing one version of Diane. Whereas Mm, this contrast with Lloyd, who just thinks Diane is like the most fascinating person on earth. Agree. Well, she is a, brain and the 
the, the quote is she's a brain in the body of a game show hostess i think is how <laughs> it's either dc or cory lily taylor's cory describes this film's her. pension for dialogue oh <laughs> it's so good can we talk about the friends you started to talk yes. about this mike and the the friends that Lloyd chooses to surround himself with. I think my favorite scene in the whole movie is when he's talking into the recorder to his 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 best friends are all girls. He's mm-hmm. talking into his voice recorder to Corey and he's saying, like, I gotta just hang out with guys. My problem is I hang out with you girls too much and I don't understand how to like be in the world. I'm gonna go talk to guys. And then it cuts to this scene with one of my favorite Jeremy Piven characters of all time, mm-hmm. I have to say. Um, just these total burnout loser oh, dudes. Man, what a and bunch of losers. They go, they have this- <laughs> Hanging in front of a gas and sip on a Saturday night, totally <laughs> yep. alone and no women anywhere. And then- by choice. And Lloyd, by choice and then Lloyd Dobler lands back in the car and he goes well that was a terrible idea yes <laughs> like my favorite it moment. only takes up one interaction to realize <laughs> oh hanging out with boys is not great <laughs> and I love that rejection of like that toxic masculinity because you mm-hmm. these guys are proto incels basically um, sure. and there's that one moment that Piven has where he admits to like some emotional vulnerability where like he was Lloyd Dobler once like he fell in love with somebody his heart got broken and rather mm-hmm. than put himself out there again, he's like, nope, never doing that again. Yeah. And then he's ragged on by his friends for it. So Lloyd getting back in the car being, yes, like that was a mistake. And he turns to Corey and DC over and over again. Like they are his muses. They're his closest confidants, but he also looks out for them. He, especially with his relationship with Corey, he makes sure that nobody can take advantage of her when like she's in a really vulnerable mm-hmm. place. And I think that's it's just, oh, he's who I aspire to be <laughs> 30 years later. Well, I just think, you know, watching this film, like we talked before we started recording about how cishet this movie is. And yes, it is. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But aside from that and and how extremely white it is, thank you, 1980s teen comedies. I was going to say, it's a product of its time mm-hmm. it totally is and yet i was still struck by how how well a lot of what happens in the film holds up like mm-hmm. from what we were just talking about like this rejection of toxic masculinity there's also the part where diane calls lloyd out on his ageism the way he thinks yes. about old people like it's amazing <laughs> we've just got these characters who are trying really hard to be good people right. and it was one of those moments where i was like Oh, yeah, like, put aside all the discourse about, like, quote-unquote wokeness or whatever. Like, being a good person has a quite a timeless quality. And right. Joe and I have watched a lot of films and read a lot of books for the show that, you know, even things published in the early 2000s where, like, you're dropping Not R words good. all over the place. Not and, good. <laughs> and there's fat phobia. And this film was just, like, 1989 mm-hmm. and actually doing doing pretty good work, doing pretty good work. Mm-hmm. So in that vein, and talking about how empathetic these characters are, but also how emotionally vulnerable they are, can we spend a few moments talking about Corey? Because I've always loved Lily Taylor. I think she's such a fantastic actress, but I'm not used to seeing her in this kind of role. And I think it's such, like, this is such a fascinating supporting character in a movie like this. I love her songs. (laughs) Um, I think the Bouncing Souls would go on to name a few of their tracks after her songs or lyrics. I like that 
she is there to kind of pump Lloyd up to Diane, but not yeah. do it in a super obvious way. Mm-hmm. Where she's like, you know, you're a great person, Lloyd. And that is one of the things about this movie is everybody at every turn is trying to tell Lloyd how great he is. Mm -hmm. And I think like a lesser movie at the end, he would like have that dare to be great situation come through. But at the end, he's really like ready to admit like, I am here to ride on Diane's coattails until I find something for as long as possible. But also like, DC doesn't get enough credit. Like, DC Mm. basically is there to say, like, Corey is framing everything from the view of, like, she is doing everything from, like, her toxic ex-boyfriend, Joe. Mm. Right. Whereas DC is taking a more global look, saying you should do what you think is right. Trust your judgment. Trust your instincts. Because they're good instincts. They're great instincts. Yeah, I mean... In some ways, the two girlfriends are quintessentially valuable, right? Like, they each have a function in developing Lloyd. But I think in the hands of someone else, these characters would have been nothing roles, right? Mm -hmm. Like, they're not especially deep supporting cast. So it all really falls to the writing and the performances of both Taylor as well as Amy Brooks, who I presume was involved because of... Dad, dad, I want to assume dad. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Who's her dad? James Brooks, one of the producers of The Simpsons, and oh, he okay. produced this movie. Oh, okay, okay. But yeah, I mean, there's there's something to be said for the fact that Lloyd has these these two girlfriends who are providing him with this really sage advice, and I think it's really significant that Diane doesn't have anyone her own age to mm-hmm. help guide her. Yeah, she relies on her dad, and she relies on her friends who are the, mostly the elderly people at the care home, who it turns out her dad is fleecing, unfortunately. Diane has been performing a role, right? Right. For her whole life. And she's happy in that role. To say that isn't to say that she's necessarily miserable or that she's made a mistake all this time, but just that, you know, she's been performing a, a particular a kind of role for her family, for the elderly people, for her father's friends. And that's what makes Lloyd such a refreshing figure is that he doesn't actually expect anything of her. Like he doesn't expect her to perform that role. He just wants to know who she is. And I think that, um, you know, we see that Lloyd, by being surrounded by these healthy friendships, even though his his family is like medium disastrous, (laughs) these healthy (laughs) friendships help him to just be himself in the world in a way that I don't think Diane has ever had the opportunity to be. Agree. And she's almost playing the role of not even a daughter, but of a, as of a wife. Totally. Uh, yeah. What, what struck me every time I watch this, the scene where the IRS agents show up, both of them get up and get the door to when the <laughs> doorbell rings. And that uh-huh. is just such an odd but crucial little detail for like an 18-year-old to be like, oh, I will get up with father and we will both greet whoever is at the door right now. Like that's such an yep. adult thing to do. And you can see how uncomfortable she is with all the praise that she's getting. Like when the principal, who as a high school principal, of course you would want to talk up the the, uh, young woman because like it looks just so impressive. You can see her almost retreating into her own body because there's a part of her that is a little bit embarrassed by all the adulation Mm -hmm. and the attention that she's getting. Mm Mm-hmm. 
I don't even think Diane knows that she's different from the other kids until Mm. she gives that speech and her dad has prepped her, you know, basically wait for applause, wait (laughs) for laughs. And she gets none except from him and Lloyd, the only two people who maybe really get her Mm -hmm. because she's so removed from any other teen. But it's so that moment with the principal is such another example of like, she's useful to the adults around her, right? Like, she makes him look good. She makes him look good. She makes the principal look good. She makes her dad look good. Even when she meets with her mom that in that one scene, her mom just wants her to make sure she doesn't like let her face, you know, look sad at the new boyfriend. Mm -hmm. And it's just like, all these roles that Diane has to perform to kind of fit in with the adults instead of just getting to be a kid. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, she's so responsible, but she's also, and she thinks she's happy. And I think that's an important point. Like, it's not like Lloyd is like saving her from, from this horrible life because she goes ahead. Like, it's not like she gives up the fellowship. We're not talking Joey Potter and Dawson's Creek giving up Paris, which (laughs) can we just don't. Um, (laughs) She does it. She goes like, she's happy with the choices she's made to a certain degree, but it's this opportunity to, to sort of flourish and bloom in her personality that is so lovely to watch. I have a question about Lloyd's pursuit of Diane. How do we Mm -hmm. see that through a 2023 lens? Because I have read and I vehemently disagree to the point where I yell at my screen and say, like, (laughs) Lloyd's pursuit is toxic. Because what I see a couple things. Number one, he calls her and asks her out and he's ready to give up. He's like, well, sounds like you're monumentally busy. And that would have been the end of it. Mm -hmm. He just looks for openings when she says not monumentally busy. And he doesn't pressure her. He just does his talking thing. Uh And I think we need to offer some grace sometimes to young persons that they're not going to get everything right. They're going to get excited. But I've seen articles where they're like, actually, this is pretty toxic. The boombox scene is toxic. The voicemails (sighs) are toxic. And I want to say that once the boombox scene ends, he stops pursuing. He stops. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think that's the distinction to make. I also read a critic last night who said that the letter is is manipulative, and I, oh boy, I also disagree with that. I think that what Lloyd is doing is being emotionally honest mm-hmm. in a way that's <laughs> totally age appropriate for an eighteen year old boy, right? Like he's making explicit how he feels, and he's not playing games with her. And it's really important, as you said, Mike, the space that he allows, right? He he constantly allows space for her to respond, space for her to walk away. Mm-hmm. He's not knocking on her door 700 times. He's not like, you know, stalking her. No. He's not following her to work. He's not doing any of those things. He's just saying like, I really care about you. I'm not sure you really wanted to end this. I'm still here. And when he doesn't get any response, yeah, he walks away. And I also... The sort of lack of game playing, I think, is one of the most refreshing things about this film. Mm-hmm. And I think particularly right. from a 2023 lens where we spend a lot of time watching teen movies where it's like the entire crux is like one person lies to another yeah. or there's a misunderstanding and we wait 90 minutes to resolve it. Like the lack of game playing from Lloyd is really refreshing. Mm-hmm. And my one of my favorite lines of his is at the end of the movie when he says to her, are you here because you just want someone or are you yes. here because you want me? And then he, mm. there's a beat and he looks at her and he goes, actually, I don't care. <laughs> yeah, I, I'm so glad you brought that up because I love that line. And I think it's such a refreshingly honest line that I think at 18, you would say, but maybe at 28 or 38, you wouldn't say at 28, yeah. 
it might be like actually i need you to be here because you need me yeah not because, me like, specifically yeah <laughs> if if i learned one thing from lloyd dobler and just watching his courtship of diane court it is ask questions don't talk about yourself yeah. mm. and as someone that has been happily married for 17 years now i remember my first date with my wife when we met i think i just asked questions and listened and i have found like every successful relationship i've been in i ask questions and listen funny that i'm a therapist now because that's what we <laughs> that's what do. you do <laughs> but that's what lloyd dobler does like he asks questions he listens he reflects and he does so in a really non-judgmental way mm -hmm. and also he meets every single person at whatever level they're mm -hmm. at he can right. perfectly match their energy whether it's jeremy piven going ballistic or <laughs> whether it's diane court and just having a quiet cup of coffee together being antisocial. hey um i just realized we have we have a school counselor on the call mm -hmm. yep can we talk about the school counselor we can so, <laughs> positive representation um my worry is this is the school counselor that in five years you'll read the paper and it will be school counselor caught in a uh, relationship candle. with a student 100%. um because she is there at the party and planning to I mean, get I drunk, right? Drops off her keys, mm -hmm. planning to yes. get drunk. Mm -hmm. That is, I mean, there is some dedication to that job where she's like, you're the last person I have to hunt down. Let's do your options right now. Yeah. That is, that <laughs> is a one-way ticket to burnout. If you cannot leave the job at home or in the school building, like that is... I don't know. That yeah. to me strikes me as that eventually you're going to burn out doing well, that. Well, you moderate the burnout with heavy drinking with teenagers. That's true. Apparently. <laughs> and what a party it is, too. I, I feel like the movie, like a lot of YA films and books, right? It has a sort of sly condemnation of adults, right? Like, mm -hmm. I think that's why the movie is so interested in Diane and Lloyd at this stage of their life, right? They're about to transition over. They're tipping over into adulthood. And we've got nothing but bad role models. Like, Jim is arguably the best of them all, but even he is a liar and a thief. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that that's par for the course when we're talking to an audience of, you know, hey, this life is yours, make of it what you will, but also be wary of who you look up to, because mm -hmm. they're all flawed human beings. But this movie in particular seems to be saying, oh, no, like, the kids are actually the ones who are going to be okay because mm. they have a good head on their shoulders as long as they stick together. Don't we say that with each passing generation? Like, I think some, one of the things that gives us hope right now is we see these kids. Like, my daughter tonight is at a sleepover, and I think every person there is, like, a non-binary kid. And mm -hmm. she just somehow has, like, gravitated to all of them. Um, like, it's no big deal. And we see such a tremendous acceptance of persons from different cultures different gender ideology different sexualities in this current generation that again i grew up during the time where this movie was current and it wasn't that whatsoever like no. like you said when a lot of the movies you cover even ones that get a lot of it right still throw around a lot of slurs or mm -hmm. are ableist um where this one 
seems to be empathetic from the get-go. I think I don't have a transition. I never have a transition. Okay. Um, um. <laughs> but I want to make sure we talk about John Mahoney's yes. performance in this movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. He's really, really good. The character is terrible. But it's such a good performance. It's such a tortured performance in a lot of ways. Mm-hmm. He's so committed to being seen as present for Diane. And and I think the iconic scene for him is when Diane tells him that she's slept with Lloyd, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. And they are having this moment because she's like, I feel so much better when I can tell you the truth and I can tell you everything. And there's this, like, every feeling crosses his face. Right? Yes. <laughs> every feeling of like, this is too much. I'm also glad she's talking to me. I want to die. This is my wife standing and she's moving on. Like, it's all crossing his face. It's so, I mean, he is so good in this scene. And you know, maybe at some point we can talk about the the potential alternate casting of this film, but I I just think this is one of his strongest performances in his career and and it it's all in those quiet reactions and it's also in the fact that, you know, Diane thinks he's this strong person who has put her through, you know, he's 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 setting her up for life. He's he's right. gotten her to this point. And at the first real sign of his lies caving in on him, where do we find him? In the bathtub weeping, right? Yeah. <laughs> I think it's such a nuanced performance and it, it gets lost because obviously the, the love story showy. is central, yeah. right? But it is. It's not a showy performance, but it is a fantastic one. He does an incredible job of showing himself as a person where the walls are caving in on him yeah. and he mm-hmm. knows there's no escape. He feels himself yeah. losing his daughter to Lloyd. He can feel it. And both Lloyd and and, and Jim Court put Diane in an impossible position mm-hmm. oh, where they boy. both they put her in a really hard position. He can feel like his professional life crumbling. And he's someone that does the right thing. He has the right reasons for wanting to do something, but he goes about it the wrong way. Like as yeah. a parent, I can totally understand that impulse of wanting to set your child up so that like when they leave university they won't have to struggle although Mm -hmm. i've shifted in what i often tell parents like it's not that you don't want your kid to ever have difficulties because that's impossible what you want to do is have it so your child can handle those difficulties Mm -hmm. you want to you want to arm them with the coping skills and strategies so when there is struggle it doesn't overwhelm but i get that i never want to see my daughter heartbroken right it's not fun you're right, though, that this is such a strong performance, but it's so quiet compared mm-hmm. to somebody like Lloyd, right? I don't want to say it pains me to think that people will always think of him for his character on Frasier mm-hmm. over this, because I think sitcom acting is a very different style of acting. Mm-hmm. And this, to me, shows, even though it's it's not dissimilar from his role on the sitcom, it is far more complicated, right? And I love that even his rationale, which I think coming from any other character would sound false and entitled, you know, he says, I'm still looking after these elderly folks and I'm doing a better job than their own families. Mm -hmm. And that's how he justifies Mm -hmm. taking money off the top. And you know, it's wrong. He knows it's wrong, but he still tells himself that, you know, I'm a good person. Like, I love that he's a minor villain who doesn't Mm -hmm. think that they're a villain. Yeah. I don't even know if he's a bad person. I think that good persons can do bad things. 
Yes. Right? I mean, I think we're all very human, and I think that's something we forget in our current climate. We've kind of lost the ability to forgive others, and everyone is judged on a... Well, it's all black and white. Exactly. Where this is a very three-dimensional person. He is manipulative of his daughter. Like, I think you see that multi-day scene play (laughs) out when he's like, I think you should break up with him. Mm. And he's not wrong. But that's not his decision to make. Exactly. It's not. And he's not doing it because of his daughter. He's doing it because he feels he's losing his daughter. Exactly. Yep. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It does remind me of the point you raised earlier, Mike, which is that people judge this movie by contemporary standards and apparently find it lacking in some Mm -hmm. capacity. Like, I have a real issue with the way that we critique media nowadays. I've said this a couple times on Horror Queers. I'm really afraid that, well, yes, the, the kids will be all right and the younger generations are doing okay. When they look at media, they do tend to adopt this black and white stance mm-hmm. and they leave no room for morals, but also they want all media to be 100% like woke, up to date, contemporary and oh, so see. on. I'm so much more interested in characters like this who aren't bad. They're just maybe compromised or they don't always make the best decisions, but they come to regret it. Like that to me is interesting media because then we get to have rich conversations like this about it. Like if this movie was just filled with people doing the right things and then there was a villain in a black hat over (laughs) in the corner, it wouldn't be fun to watch. No. And those are the John Hughes movies. I mean, when you think about This is like an anti-John Hughes film. Not that there aren't some classics there, but you'll watch a movie like Pretty in Pink, and Mm -hmm. James Spader is very clearly the bad guy. You watch The Breakfast Club, and the principal is very clearly the bad guy. Where here, I think this is a great example of a movie where it's like, nope, we're all just human with all the deep flaws that come with that. I think, to your point, Joe, there's a certain degree persons don't want to be feel uncomfortable with the media they watch now they don't want to be in some ways challenged um, Mm -hmm. and they don't want to be made to feel like disquieting or discomforting feelings and that is why they don't understand that just because you are depicting something that doesn't mean that you're endorsing that behavior exactly (laughs) i don't know if this is too unrelated to what you guys are talking about but it's go ahead I don't know if you guys saw, I'm going to say yesterday, but that won't mean anything recently, the uh, profile of Brandon Sanderson that came out in Wired magazine. So he's a science fiction writer. Uh, He's Mormon. He's making a lot of money, like more than anyone else working in publishing right now, Mm -hmm. I would say. And basically this this profile came out and the author of the profile was like, I'm really interested in why this guy is so famous because he's not actually a good writer. Oh, dear. People are very, very angry about this profile. But I read it yesterday and it's actually, it's a really interesting profile because it really is getting into like, okay, why does someone who actually isn't that great of a writer, like what is it that people gain from reading these books? Why why does he have such a fandom? Like, let's talk about that interesting piece of it. And what does his faith and his religiosity have to do with, you know, Mm. his popularity and the stories that he tells? Anyway, People were reading it yesterday, and the the overwhelming response on Twitter was like, this is a hit piece. It's absolutely not a hit piece. It's a way of asking actually really difficult questions about a popular figure, but we're so unused to reading a profile that isn't 
fawning, right? Yeah, a gushing puff piece. Yeah. Anyway, you guys are making me think of that with what you were talking about. It's like that. I that, like that. I'm going to have to seek this out. <laughs> I mean, maybe you'll read it and be like, wow, that's really mean and Brenna's a bad person. But I actually, <laughs> I thought it was a great, fascinating read. Um, but, you know, I'm also not invested in that that writer in that world. So well, maybe it's different. Yeah. But but I guess, you know, this desire to... Um, desire to have really easy interactions with the media we consume, I think is totally part of like the idea mm-hmm. that, that we should read Lloyd Dobler as a stalker in the it same just, kind of uh... way that I've been really like, you know, out on the show, I've been really critical about characters like, you know, sure. the characters in Twilight, right? Who I do mm. think are deeply unhealthy and problematic and, yes. and, and the ways in which we idolize those characters and don't talk about their problems and complexity really worries me, right? Mm-hmm. And so I don't think I'm being hypocritical when I say that there's a level of nuance to look at. And like, Diane is never in danger with Lloyd. Never. No. At no point, right? Even when he's, even when she's breaking up with him, right? There's no, you never feel like, oh my God, he's going to drive her off a cliff, right? Whereas <laughs> I feel like in a lot of love stories, we end up with this constant sort of tension there's this idea that like sort of a lack of safety makes people exciting. And I think one of the things that is so lovely about this film is that Lloyd makes mistakes. Lloyd says things he shouldn't, right? He probably shouldn't make that last phone call, for example, but mm-hmm. but he's never a threat to Diane. And she knows that, right? And and that's that's why he can be honest with her. And that's why she he becomes the safe place she runs to when she loses her father. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. One of my favorite things. I mean, I I found this movie incredibly subversive, considering how many teen films I've seen, because it frequently kind of zigs when I expected it to zag mm-hmm. and be more traditional. Like, initially, I was a little put off by Lloyd, because I was like, you don't know anything about this girl. You <laughs> like her because she's hot, and you have admired her from afar. And I did find, I found it a little creepy, to be honest, initially. And when she agrees to the date because she doesn't have anything to do, I thought, okay, let's see how this plays out. What are we going to do? So he takes her to this party. And I have to say, this is one of the best shot party scenes I have seen in a teen film in a long time. The action is so easy to follow. We are seamlessly introducing supporting characters, a bit players, jokes, heartfelt parts, like... This is a really, really good scene. And how much do you learn about our two protagonists just from the walk through the party? Well, okay, so that, but also Lloyd leaves her yeah. because he knows that she hasn't had a lot of interaction with these people. She's like this weird attraction to a lot of folks. Everybody knows him, so he keeps an eye on her to make sure that she doesn't become overwhelmed, that he can steer her away from people if need be. And yes, I imagine you could look at that and like, oh, he just keeps looking at her. It's creepy. I found it so refreshing Mm -hmm. that he says, I don't need to be at your side all the time. I don't need to be trying to impress you. I'm just excited to see you out here. Mm -hmm. And then he lets her find her own way. And then he gravitates back to her when they're both ready. And it's such an important experience for her, right? To like actually get her yearbook signed and like Mm -hmm. actually connect with the people in her class and it's a little bit of a condemnation of Jim when she gets home that he doesn't recognize how huge it is when she says, I felt like I never knew any of these people until tonight. Like, mm-hmm. that's huge. That's soul crushing. Yes. <laughs> I think, too, and it's the young lady who was like the lead character in Heathers as well. Like, she 
is the one oh, is that, that who it is yes and she's like diane court whoa um when she she, <laughs> she she plays sheila in this movie and usually doing the finger quotes when she's like when she asked like you came with lloyd dobler how did that happen and there is so <laughs> there is so much that is said in between that brief pause and the way she says happen and diane's response was just he made me laugh and yes. um well, and the, the flip side of that is the guy who says to to lloyd like how are you possibly here with diane court like how did you make that happen and he goes i, I called, called her, her. <laughs> <laughs> yeah but you see how quickly diane picks up like when she's talking to Corey, and Corey is like i'm over joe it's done if i see mm-hmm. him it's hi how are you joe how are you doing and she's like don't worry he's at the other end of the party it's such a wonderful right? you see how quick she is to pick up yeah and how like she just wants to fit in and i because there's another version of this movie where she's like oh, oh i'm above mm-hmm or even that she gets humiliated. Like, mm-hmm. I I was thinking about uh, She's All That, where, you know, this becomes a prank. And when Diane gets to the party, people treat her badly because she thinks that she's better than them and they don't like her and they don't know her. And this movie doesn't do any of that. Like, there's so many opportunities for this movie to be mean. And they yes. don't go there. Yeah. Yes. Can we talk about the alternate universe casting in this movie? Joe knows I'm always fascinated <laughs> by the casting. Yes, didn't happen. <laughs> okay. So the other person who was up for the role of Diane was Jennifer Connelly. Ooh, I could see it. And the other person who was offered the role of Lloyd Dobler was Robert Downey Jr. Can't see mm. it. I think it'd be too smarmy, right? Yeah. 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 That's what I think too. There's too yeah. much, too much guile, right? Yes. The thing that works so well about Lloyd is that his face like it's so vulnerable Mm -hmm. and it's something that cusack goes on to use in like aged up characters in a way that's like it's why high fidelity is Mm -hmm. such a compelling movie is like this guy keeps making terrible decisions but his he's just constantly so vulnerable as he's doing it (laughs) Mm -hmm. high fidelity is what happens to lloyd if he becomes disillusioned with the world yes but i think gross point blank is the other way he could go i always read gross point blank as like a pseudo sequel Mm -hmm. to say anything i love that i love that (laughs) and then um uh also christian slater and kirk cameron were also considered for lloyd dobler no absolutely not get out of here (laughs) i will not accept that (laughs) i read julia roberts was considered for diane court oh wow which would have been something i think she would have been way too big for it by this i point, think so though. too yeah. yeah and too much gloss for the role i think yeah. um and then the other two the two people who were considered for jim court were dick van dyke mm. and richard dreyfus mm-hmm. oh i could see richard I could dreyfus. See richard dreyfus i can't see dick van dyke that would have been way too like like would he wear a top hat <laughs> I think I saw a Murder, She Wrote episode with Dick Van Dyke where he played against type and he was quite creepy. Oh, really? Oh. Okay. Yeah. Okay. And there's one with Leslie Nielsen where he's like a Lothario, like he sweeps Jessica Fletcher off her feet. And I'm like, Ooh. damn, like hmm. Leslie Nielsen. And he's in a Columbo one where he's like hot. I'm like, my <laughs> God, like Leslie Nielsen could just bring it in the 70s. So what you're saying is you would like to see Leslie Nielsen in this role. Oh, my God. <laughs> Coming off the naked gun doing. Can you imagine? That would be amazing. Um, that was a hard 180. <laughs> I had I had one thing I wanted to discuss. Uh, okay. Lloyd's, Lloyd's wardrobe. 
Mm. Because mm, the trench coat? Not the trench coat, the Clash t-shirt. Oh, yeah. Every oh. time there is an important moment in Lloyd's life, anytime he's at a crossroads or anytime he needs to just kind of like gather all his courage, he's wearing his Clash t-shirt. Hmm. And there's one uh, one alternative to that, which I'll mention. So it's from the uh, debut album of The Clash. It's like the cover of that record. And he wears it like when he calls on graduation day and when he calls her on the date. Uh, right. He's wearing it, I believe, like the first time they make love, he's wearing it. He's wearing it the day that he brings Diane to the prison to mm-hmm. talk with her dad. Mm-hmm. And there are other multiple times like that is his kind of. Like his version of Superman's cape, basically. Yeah, it's his armor. It's what he feels, and I know that I have like articles of clothing. If I just need that extra little boost of confidence, that I am mm-hmm. going to, like a band T-shirt that I'm going to put on, or a horror movie T-shirt that I'm going to put on. That you know, even if it's like under everything, the only exemption to that is he often wears a T-shirt from the band Fishbone, whose music is featured. And the music in this movie is incredible, but he's wow, wearing like a, <laughs> oh, yeah. he's wearing a, a fishbone T-shirt, I believe, is the cover of their album of Truth and Soul. That's what he's wearing uh, the day that he leaves and uh, he and Diane take off on their flight. That's his kind of like, I'm really, really happy right now. He's mm. wearing the fishbone shirt. So I kind of love that. The trench coat, too, is iconic, but definitely I noticed the clacks as a someone who listens to the clash every day still um <laughs> notice that it's wild nice. that the clash is not on the soundtrack for this film though mm-hmm. i wonder if they were too expensive I wonder. maybe you get the replacements you get a great replacements track in living color and fishbone and oh it's so good peter gabriel obviously depeche obviously and expensive my favorite lloyd dobler outfit and it's because it's exactly how my husband dresses now oh is the scene when he <laughs> It's just so funny how fashions repeat, right? It's the mm-hmm. scene where he's trying to, he's at the, he's hosting his movie night at the <laughs> old folks home. And he's got that like gray sort of fitted sweater, but he's like scrunched up the sleeves and he's got those mm-hmm. like slim fit pants. And I was like, man, that is like, it's that an that iconic is, look. And it's, it's 2023. Yep. It's like right back. <laughs> yep. Well, everything in the 80s, like, do you find that things go in 30 year cycles? Because I noticed that when we watch 80s movies, I see a lot of 50s influence. Mm -hmm. And now that we're sort of into the 2010s and late, well, late 2010s and early 2020s, we're starting to see a lot of 80s things sort of making that comeback, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, a lot of 90s right now. Yeah, Um, I see a lot of Nirvana t-shirts on kids recently. Uh, which I think is always a really good thing. Uh, Flannel is coming back. Doc Martens are coming back in a big way. So this is my heyday. This is my time to shine, man. 1991 <laughs> to 96. And after that, I peaked. So I am here for it. <laughs> I did see a 30th anniversary piece, I think, in the rap that talked about how Seattle was such an important place to set this because mm-hmm. it's also a city that's right on the cusp of having a kind of definitive life-changing revolution, right? Where it goes from what we see in the film to the world of Nirvana and plaid and coffee. Yep. Well, Corey's aesthetic is really on the cutting edge of that, right? Mm-hmm. Oh, she she feels like a Seattle girl, doesn't she? She feels like a Seattle girl in 1995. Like, she's ahead of her time wildly. Mm-hmm. And it's it's one of the things that makes her sort of so cool. And so, I don't know, she just stands out for that, I think. 
if you told me her character was like based on like Ani DeFranco, like I would totally <laughs> right. completely believe oh, it. And yes. it's something that Crow tries to replicate with his next movie, Singles, mm-hmm. uh, which takes place in Seattle. And that movie dates itself because it's so steeped in like the grunge movement of that right. time. Like the folks of Pearl Jam and Soundgarden have like walk on roles in that movie oh wow it dates itself immediately in a way that this movie doesn't like this movie uses its locations to its benefit but it still feels timeless it does feel like you could slap a 2023 copyright on it and say this movie is as fresh right now as it would have been even more fresh now just because of the way that like lloyd comports himself Mm mm-hmm Well, maybe that's an interesting place to kind of wrap up the discussion is, are there other reasons why this movie has persisted so long? Like, sure, sure, there's a lot of movies that become classics, but why does this movie still feel timeless in a way? It has a huge heart. And it has a huge heart that doesn't end up getting undercut. Like, as we've said, you know, it, it doesn't feel... It doesn't feel super problematic or dated. Well, I guess some people <laughs> think it does. But, um, you know, the the fact is that the, this is a film about, like, people who are trying to do the right thing. Mm-hmm. Whether they succeed or not is sort of a larger arc of the film. But, like, I don't know. I think that their motivations are, are timeless. Their choices are pretty timeless. And I think that has a lot to do with it. I mean, the love story is wonderful. Yeah. And it's, a, it's obviously an iconic love story. But all of the characters... Maybe with the exception of the school counselor who's getting drunk, but all of the characters really are just trying their best. Mm -hmm. This character does borrow, I think, some cues or themes from a movie like Mike Nichols' The Graduate, especially at the end of the movie where you watch the end of The Graduate and you have this triumphant moment in the church, but then reality sinks in and when they... When Dustin Hoffman and I want to say it's Aaron Nichols and I'm going to get Catherine Ross get on the bus together, their whole body deflates. Yeah. They know they've made a mistake. Mm-hmm. And you go to the end of this movie and it's the two of them on the plane. I kind of want Devin Sawa to run past them on the plane and go, <laughs> oh, oh, no. Because <laughs> I just am warped like that. But when diane says nobody believes this is going to work and he's like you've just described every great success story ever you believe that these two are going to make it and it doesn't necessarily mean that they're going to end up together and they found Mm -hmm. the loves of their lives forever but and it's funny there's a woman who i'm still very good friends with that we dated for a while she gave me this poster and took down my texas chainsaw massacre poster (laughs) and said you will do much better with the ladies if this is over your bed and she was right no that is fair yeah (laughs) she's still a near and dear person to me that like if if i needed to drop everything and drive eight hours for her today i would do it you know that these are two persons that no matter what will always be in each other's corner Mm -hmm. and they will always try to do their best for whoever is important in their lives and i think there's something really beautiful and timeless about that message and it doesn't feel heavy-handed i never feel like i'm beat over the head with it There's Mm -hmm. just like this, not just an empathy, but there's an optimism to this movie that I think that a lot of movies and a lot of media misses now. We're in an extremely Mm. cynical age, and this movie is not afraid to wear its heart on its sleeve. That's so sweet. (laughs) Ah, Delightful. Did we did we convince you, Joe? Is it now your favorite movie too? (laughs) Not my favorite, but I, I definitely have a newfound appreciation for it. 
Good answer. <laughs> Shall we wrap this up by playing a quick round of YA bingo? Yeah. Bingo! Not a good bingo. So, Mike, as our guest of honor, why don't you go first? Did you spot a couple of squares? I did. Um, Musicality. Oh, yes. Because you have the him playing guitar in the shop. Mm -hmm. I'm going to say that there are queer secondary characters in here because there is no way that Corey or DC aren't at least bisexual. I'm sorry. Mm -hmm. There's absolutely no way. (laughs) I'd watch that movie, a movie of just the two of them. Oh, absolutely. Where's that spinoff? Yeah. Good friendships, obviously. Not quite house porn. Party porn, maybe. (laughs) Perfect date, for sure. Obviously. Montage, for sure. Um, It was filled in Seattle, not Canada. No stunt casting. And I don't know about ableism. There's that discussion about ageism. So that might. Um, Borrowed time fits. Road trip definitely fits. Uh, Because they're flying to England at the end. Mm -hmm. Uh, Definitely no hollow romances, though. Oh, I disagree. (laughs) I'm giving hollow romance to Jill and Corey. To Joe. Oh, Joe lies. (laughs) Thank you. Good call. So there's a lot on here. They just don't line up for a a bingo. And I wouldn't call Diane Court like a manic pixie. I think she's very three dimensional. Lloyd is closer to the manic pixie. I was going to say, yeah. Wow. (laughs) That's a good call. (laughs) <laughs> so Breda, what what do you have? Do you have anything extra? Um, I don't think that I do. I definitely wanted to make sure I got to dig in about the movie Joe, not not our Joe. Yeah. There with hollow romances. And no, I don't think so. I um yeah, I actually I I do have house porn for um the court's house, not the interior mm-hmm. decorating. It's very 1989, but mm-hmm. the home itself is beautiful. And if you imagine mm. that house in Seattle, in 1989 i hope he didn't lose it when he lost everything because that would be worth a ton (laughs) (laughs) oh my gosh yeah she she could afford when she comes back from the uk she could just sell the house and then she could live forever yep (laughs) yeah i don't think i have anything else to add either so uh it's a good smattering but unfortunately not a line can i make an interesting observation Mm-hmm. It's a graduation movie with no prom. Oh, yeah. Mm. Again, another subversion. Totally. You would expect to see, not that he takes her to a rager, but that he takes her to prom, right? It's an mm-hmm. interesting choice. Wow. Well, Joe, we are definitely changing gears. We're sticking in movie land. We've been doing a few minisodes back to back, but we're changing gears to talk about a really beautiful film uh, set in Sweden called Sammy Blood next week. So if folks can find it, it's worth checking out uh, for our conversation mm-hmm. next week. And we are still looking ahead to our next book club. So if you're reading We Are Totally Normal, we'd love to hear your thoughts about that. If you want to write in, you can find us on the Twitters at HKHSPod or on the hashtag at HKHSPod. Joe, where do they find you? I can be reached at B Stole My Remote, and that's the letter B. And I'm at Brenna C. Gray. That's Gray with an A. Mike, do you have socials that you want to point out to people? Sure. You can find me at Mike underscore Snoonian over on Twitter and Instagram and Mike Chump Change over on Letterboxd. Nice. Awesome. And if you want to send in a more long form response, like maybe you're dying to tell us that actually say anything is the worst, you know, oh, you can submit no. to our mailbag. <laughs> it's hkhspod at gmail.com. Yeah, I'm not saying we'll read that on the show, but you can yeah. write in. <laughs> Let me know what you are and I will wrestle you. I will absolutely. <laughs> 
Thank you so much for joining us today, Mike. It was super fun to have another big enthusiast on the show today. Thank you. I really enjoyed getting to talk about a not horror movie. (laughs) It's true, right? It's a nice change of pace. (laughs) Especially something like this, which is really, I think my daughter caught me like dry heaving, sobbing, watching this (laughs) show a few times. So I love this movie so much. (laughs) It's so good. It really is. Um, Yeah, so until next time, I will see you on the page. And I will see you on the screen. Bye-bye. You know, he's not knocking on the doorstep. (laughs) You don't knock on a doorstep. Hang on. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so, uh, Brennan, before we talk about where we're going next, why don't we... hmm, No, that was awkward. (laughs)